Ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek 5'11", 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous 5'11", 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. Back for another wonderful episode of the best powerlifting podcast ever. Yeah, I think that's I think we're safe to say that at this point. But you- the good news is, hold on, let's let's do these ad reads. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, sorry. Come on. We're professionals, Thomas. Jesus. Sorry. Ho, 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 gentlemen. The holidays came early here at Manscaped, the leading men's hygiene brand. Manscaped just launched new products, including their all-new ultra-premium body wash. Damn. I'm not sure if that's a body wash for premium bodies or just an ultra-premium body wash. But it's a two-in-one and a two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. It's time to give yourself or someone who needs it the gift of beautiful skin, hair, and balls this holiday season. Go to manscaped.com and use the code PIXPIC for 20% off and free shipping. That's right. Jingle balls to the walls, fellas. Listen up. Untrimmed pubes are a thing of the past. And it's possible you have Santa's beard in your pants. It's time to leave your significant other some cookies and milk at the bottom of your chimney. Whoa. Uh, whoa all right i'm talking about the manscape performance package 4.0 get 20 percent off and free shipping with the code peakspeak at manscape.com that's 20 percent off with free shipping at manscape.com and use the code peakspeak clean up your nuts and make santa proud this year amazing you should also that- get some prism coffee you should because it's delicious it is it keeps us going it powers the podcast quite literally yeah, quite literally. My my reliance on caffeine is much lower these days because apparently I'm a health nut now. Though I am considering exploring decaf, much to the complete displeasure of John 10 months ago, who would have looked down his nose and spat at present John who's considering drinking decaf. It's bad. I'm really, I'm really curious as to how much of for for people who strongly rely on caffeine how much of a psychological effect decaf would have in terms of like oh i can have coffee at night time um would there be a placebo effect and because decaf is also not completely decaffeinated right it goes from you know 80 or 100 milligrams to like 30 or something yeah i think it's even less than that in most cases it's it's not a lot of caffeine but Mm. i'm i'm not sure to be honest uh but yeah i definitely reckon that there'd be a psychological effect to it i wouldn't be surprised if the first couple of times i have a afternoon coffee even though i know for a fact it's decaf that uh yeah i end up just placeboing myself into being wired yeah i truthfully i've never had decaf in my life i i don't think i have as well because i turned down my no- turned up my nose and just spat at the idea because mm. i'm a fucking snob i generally only have you know my morning coffee and then the brain meds that i take uh, act as a stimulant so that that sort of gets me through the day but anyway before like before we did the ad reads just then i was going to ask you do you listen to any other powerlifting podcasts anymore uh 
Occasionally, I listen to the Reactive Training Systems podcast when they have an interesting guest and or topic. Um, I've listened to a few episodes of the Compound Performance Radio recently, though I wouldn't necessarily categorize them exclusively as a powerlifting podcast. Yeah. What else do I listen to? I think there's a couple that like I am subscribed to that I don't listen to every episode, but if they've got... um, like the Iron Culture one, occasionally if the the title of those in, interests me, I'll jump on it. Same with the hybrid one, Stronger by Science. That's about it, really. I don't yeah. think there's any other sort of powerlifting-specific ones in my podcast list. Yeah, interesting. I, I used to go ham on them. Um, and truthfully, I, I haven't listened to a powerlifting podcast in ages. Yeah, like I, it's... I, I tend to it's only listen to other ones if, like, a friend or someone I know has been featured on one. Yeah, that, and that's pretty much the same for me. Is it, like, either someone I know or someone I'm interested to listen to talk uh, or they capture me with a good topic that sounds interesting. And even then, you've probably got, like, four minutes of my attention before I skip it and put something else on. Yeah. yeah but as so- I said to someone the other day, I don't really consume powerlifting as a recreation in the same way as I did... 10 years ago when I was more focused on competing and training myself. Mm. Uh, I think, yeah, because it's part of my job. I spend less time doing it as a recreation. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. So, listeners, what keeps you coming back? What do you want to hear more of? We, I think we've had a huge response to these these lifting series ones. Yeah. Um, which has been great. But uh, unfortunately, as a powerlifting podcast, we're about to round out our lifting series. Do we just start again? Them. Yeah. Do we just start again? Just what have we changed our minds on in, in the, the last three seven weeks. weeks it's been since we did a deadlift episode? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just keep going around in circles. Anyway. I'm okay with that. Speaking of which, squat Q&A. Let's yes. hit it. We got a bunch of them. A bunch yes. of good ones, I think, too. Um, let's start with how do squats help you bench by... Uh, Brett Walland, who's one of my lifters who does bench only. He's an amazing bencher, like over, over 500 pounds at under 100 kilo body weight. Really, really uh, strong bencher. Doesn't squat or deadlift. Why the fuck did you just list his achievements in both pounds and kilos, but not even like one, like both in pounds and kilos? You said over 500 pounds at 100 kilos. Like you got to just pick one measurement system nah, because- or quote both numbers in both. Like people know what 500 pounds is and it sounds better than 227. Can we all as Australians just fucking boycott the idea of listing things in pounds and make the Americans convert it themselves? Because everyone else in the world doesn't give a fuck. Man, there's there's no greater way to inflate your ego than being an Australian at an American comp. They're all walking around going, what weight is this on the bar? Is that 375? it 375 does that convert to 160 i'm just like bro that's 160 that's that's 180 i am maths exactly (laughs) they've all got like at the american comps like the u.s open or boss of bosses there's charts everywhere over the wall of watching people watching people scroll through those charts trying to figure out what they've got cracks me up (laughs) but i mean like if you're a little bit off topic I've trained in American gyms that only had pound plates and it is the fucking worst because you're like, fuck. No, you just, that's why you just pretend so it all weighs 100 and I'd, just keep yeah. stacking plates on. Until I just count bored. plates, exactly. Yeah. It's close Excellent. Enough. Anyway, sorry, that was a real tangential bit of nonsense. But that's what you come back for. And if it's not too mm. bad, you get it anyway. 
So I don't know if you were ever a subscriber to uh, bodybuilding.com forums and read all the articles, but there was like, I th I'm pretty sure it came on Elite FTS as well. There was there was a, a phase where 20 rep squats were seen as like the like the the ultimate like anabolic tool to use and there was all this like um, bro science evidence around like you get good at 20 set squats even your biceps will grow do you, do you remember that <laughs> i definitely remember that i don't um, even know what it was about like an increased release of testosterone or I'm something sure stupid something like that something yeah. some really 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 like far out conclusion Anyway, Brett, to answer your question, yes, squats will help you bench by increasing the size of your biceps because of the testosterone <laughs> released. But only if you do 20 reps at a exactly. time. Exactly. Max effort, 20 rep squats. Oh, 20 rep squats are the fucking worst. Dude, I still remember, like vividly remember the last hard set of 20. I think I did 150 for 20. That's fucked. And it was like rep 12, my hands started going numb. Uh, and then rep, it was about rep 16 or rep 17. The whole world just started closing in on me. Like it just was like, boom. And I just remember having this like, well, fuck, you better finish this pretty quickly. <laughs> Thought in my head and like finish the last three reps and then just like literally hit the floor and writhed uh, in agony for a long time. Yeah. It was okay. really gross. I did an AMRAP um, bench thing as part of the... Um, it was like a 60% of your body weight for as many reps as possible as part of the Mackay open day just for fun. Oh, yeah, and like I remember seeing do, Doing bench AMRAP like that, you know, with a, a relatively light percentage, you just, you, you gas out and it's just, yeah. you're fine. But doing high rep squats like that, there's this defined point where you go from like, oh, I'm getting kind of fatigued, I want to stop, to just what you described, just fucking death. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It's a completely it's, different experience. I distinctly remember Dave Tate going through it. Maybe it was at a similar phase where he was talking about like one of the worst things you can do after a 20 rep set of squats is lie on the ground because the <laughs> sudden drop in your heart rate will like end up inducing heart attacks or something like that. It was uh, sort of equally bro sciencey, but also like I've laid on the ground after a hard set of 20. My heart rate didn't go down. In fact, it went up for a period of time while I lay on the ground trying not to die. Yeah, to be fair, you probably weren't taking anywhere near the amount of anabolics as uh, <laughs> Dave Tate was. So uh, there's probably yeah. some um, uh, confounding factors. Yeah, yeah, potentially. Uh, all right, which one do you want to do next? Um, there's one about sore knees. Yeah, do you know what causes sore knees the day after squatting but no knee pain during squatting? Yeah, your knees. <laughs> In a more serious answer though, that's definitely a question for your physio. I um I think it's hard to say and hard to answer any of these pain questions and this is always the problem with this format is A, neither <coughs> of us are physios and so we can only really talk about our own experiences when it comes to those sort of things and more importantly, B, the 15 words you've got in this question are not enough to provide context to that scenario. Mm. Yeah, it's a tricky one. Like, um, especially something like a knee, there's so much going on in a knee that there can be so much related to the history. Like, you can take some stabs in the dark, but it's just it's just not worth it. You'd be just better off. If, if it's a consistent thing that's causing you grief, go get it checked out. Like you're way better off doing yeah, that. And than, that's just talking generally, not to the specific person. You're yeah. way better off just 
biting the bullet, go getting it checked out if you're genuinely concerned about it and getting an answered quickly. Otherwise, you just end up chasing your tail for six months and then being in the same spot, you know, being like, yeah. oh, my knees are sore. And the other thing on that note is if it is consistent, just like paying attention to the variables that you can control in that scenario yeah. because what you can then do is go to the physio that you're going to see with a much more comprehensive okay here's what i've tried or here's what i've been doing here are the times where i found it to be more intense like hey those nights that i didn't sleep as well before my squat session meant i had sore knees the day after or something mm-hmm. like that being able to look at all those other factors i think as a lifter can help you identify holes in your approach to training as a whole Mm -hmm. but also um can just give you more information to go into a physio session with or even talking to a coach about it like when you're doing those sort of things the first thing i ask is start asking questions about like all these other variables and if it's a one-off thing i'm way less concerned about it than i am if it's like a consistent thing then we start looking at all you know how do we manage things what are the common factors that sort of thing yeah and just just speaking really 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 generally now if if barbell back squats especially powerlifting low bar style back squats are giving you knee pain um consistently as well this is a very broad generalization but i'd be looking at technique too as in knee shouldn't get beat up from doing a barbell back squat like it's it's such a hip driven movement Mm. and knees should be so not taxed in that movement unless there's some sort of pre-existing condition most lifters who get into powerlifting and lift with a powerlifting style squat that's uh, relatively stable and controlled and load management is good never run into knee issues at all um, yeah, so, and if they do it tends to be more on the like tendonitis the end of things which, which is, is going to hurt well and it's going to hurt at the time yeah like you're going to notice it as you're squatting as opposed to the day after it yes 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 um, all right. What else we got? Uh, Cooper 15190 asked what our favorite variations of the basic squat. I think we covered that pretty much entirely in the last episode where we talked about different variations. We certainly talked about at the end of our first squatting episode with mm-hmm. a discussion about tempo and things like that. And then um, we covered it in more depth in the last episode. So go listen mm-hmm. to that one because I think we covered all of them. Yeah, yeah. So for me, it's definitely um, tempo squats. But yeah, we definitely went in depth on on that. Um, Cooper also asked, will using the Smith machine increase my barbell squat? I mean, it depends on what you're using the Smith machine for, uh, uh-huh. for a start. I would shy away from it in almost every scenario because I think, like we talked about last time, there are just better options. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, a Smith machine is one of those things that... You will very rarely, if ever, see in a gym that looks like either of ours and you're far more likely, I'm assuming you don't have one at zero, uh, but you're also on a neck machine buying flex. So who knows? Um, But yeah, you you just won't see them in gyms that look like ours because they're not actually very effective for the amount of space and, and money they take up there are just better options yeah i mean i'd go further than that i'd say nothing will increase your barbell back squat besides your barbell back squat like um and so then it's the question okay. of then it's the question of what do, do smith machine squats fit into a training plan and it's like like john said there's there's probably better options but if we you know play devil's advocate and we're like you're in an extremely limited equipment scenario but you happen to have access to a smith machine you don't have a leg press a hack squat a pendulum squat a belt squat 
doing a doing using a smith machine to emulate some of those other positions that you can't get into and add constraints isn't necessarily a bad idea like you can really fuck up your quads by doing a close stance feet out in front of you um really upright sort of smith machine squat so yeah, yeah. i i wouldn't say that it's like you know think of where we've come from it was the devil like it was like oh, yeah, you, it was the most laughable piece of equipment um i personally did my first ever squats on a smith machine that um, doesn't surprise me and no. i tried to use it for three weeks and i'm like this just feels so bad i'm just going to use that barbell thing over there uh, then i switched <laughs> and i never stopped um but yeah i mean like i i don't think a, a smith machine is a horrible piece of equipment i think you can find uses for really any piece of equipment um but yeah that'd be yeah i i agree like you know if it's your only option sure we've got some we can use it for some things but otherwise i think there are probably better better ways to spend your time mm -hmm. um i like this one um bendigo barbell uh kangles kangles is relative back versus leg weakness important like how jts cws have described in some vids what would you say to that one i think we covered this in a manner of speaking in the last couple of episodes from my point of view i like that's not the frame of reference i will use to talk about squatting weaknesses because i don't think it is a comprehensive enough viewpoint of what's going on um it's really easy to look at someone someone's technique breakdown and say that this breakdown is because of this muscle and you know, five years ago, I was certainly of that opinion in some ways, but the the logical chain that you follow to get to that conclusion is a really reductionist way of looking at it, in my view. Uh, and I think that there are just better ways to frame the conversation for the most part, thinking about it more from a like a positional and technique standpoint rather mm -hmm. than individual muscles or muscle groups. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I think once you, you know, account for what John just said and you, you've got the technique down pat, you can still expose weaknesses. Like you can still have a technically um, a, a technically well-executed squat and be able to identify, okay, that person's ability to extend their torso is weaker than the, their legs or their yep. legs are weaker than their ability to extend their torso. You're never going to find legs weaker than your ability to extend your torso. Like that's just no. not going to happen. But... You know, you can identify these systematic weaknesses, but you still take a systematic approach to fixing them. Yes, exactly. Um, and so, like, one, one thing that I would be very, very, very careful about doing or buying into, um, and there are some big-name people that promote these sort of ideas, is, like, looking at technical breakdowns and then assigning a, a weakness of a muscle group and then assigning exercises to those weakness. So, for example, people whose hips shoot up, knees shoot back, they'll they'll be classed as, like, weak hip extensors. So do a bunch of hip thrusts, do a bunch of conventional deadlifts to fix that. Where, really, that's happening because of a technical breakdown that's occurring, a positional weakness. So it's, like, fix the position and then the muscles can uh, do what they need to do within that system. Um, that's what we need to be looking at. And that's what John and I sort of really dissected in the last few weeks of the squat episode. So if you missed that, go back and listen. Yeah. And that, like, that's how we approach all of these things. You know, mm -hmm. like w the two of us have been talking about this as a systematic approach to positions for quite some time now because we both think it's a more comprehensive way of actually looking at how your body works. The idea that you can, in any method that doesn't involve hooking up a lot of EMG 
electrodes to basically every muscle in your body the idea that any coach of any experience can look at an individual moving through space and automatically tell you what muscles are weak based on how they move Hmm. i think is perhaps a little backwards yeah and you tend to end up ignoring the evidence in front of you sometimes as well so back to that same example like knees cave in when, when you lose your pelvic position, so you go into posterior pelvic tilt, you get butt wing, your knees cave in, your body's like, okay, now the only way we're going to extend our hips is by realigning the pelvis. The only way we can do that is by pushing our hips back. So quads do their thing, knees shoot back, hips shoot up. Now the pelvis is aligned. Now hips can drive through. So you get that weird double movement, good morning sort of squat out of the hole. And so if you just go, okay, well, the hips are weak because they're not driving forward, let's do hip thrusts. You're still going to see the same breakdown happen because- even though those muscles are strong enough to do what they need to do, if they're not in the right position joint-wise, nothing's going to happen. And so what people tend to do is like, hips are still weak. Let's keep doing hip thrusts. Ignore, ignore the fact that their hips are getting strong as fuck on these other exercises and not put together. Well, they're strong. They're passing all the tests. Why isn't it happening in the squat itself? So yeah. be, be wary of that. If you're going down this road of like, I need to do this exercise to strengthen this muscle group, put a time limit on it and be like if it's not carrying over into my main movement it's probably not the thing that's wrong yeah otherwise um yeah that was the dynamic correspondence that was the elite fts nerd way of talking about how how things transfer And, and in those scenarios they were talking about like a similar approach but it's it's still a slightly misguided idea of like these are the muscle groups that are weak so we're going to hammer those but like you said if it doesn't actually transfer into the skill and that's the bit that everyone misses is that your squat ability is not the sum of the strength capabilities Mm. of your quads and glutes and muscles around your hips right like Mm -hmm. that it just doesn't you can't sum all those parts and get your squat max Mm. because expressing that strength in that particular environment high rep uh, high load one rep max powerlifting squats is a really very specific skill and that's mm-hmm. why you'll see people in your average gym who can leg press a shitload of weight and then can't squat to save their fucking life because they have strong legs and maybe they've got a really strong back but they can't squat for shit because they can't squat for shit mm. exactly um use of belts for your average joe so this is actually Josh from Prism. Uh, that's yeah. Uh, Josh is one of the Prism boys uh, who is a fucking weapon on a mountain bike. <laughs> yeah, um, you, you mentioned him the other week. Yeah, he's like six foot four and seventy kilos soaking wet, and will shred with the best of them. It's pretty impressive. Uh, I am way less interested in talking about belts for most people outside of the powerlifting realm because it's just another thing that they have to spend money on that doesn't necessarily give you back what you can get out of a belt from a powerlifting scenario like Mm. if if your only goal in training is to lift the heaviest weights possible then i think you should wear a belt for squatting and deadlifting if your goal is training in the gym to facilitate something that isn't in the gym then i don't think it's worth while because i don't think it'll be the rate limiter in the same way mm-hmm. yeah like i'm a i'm a big fan of of people wearing belts and people wearing belts early but people wearing belts with no concept of bracing tends to lend people towards tightening belts to create this false sense of brace and the tighter yep. the belt is the more you tend to do an anti-brace and put yourself yep. in a more vulnerable position um so 
unless it's being guided um or like john said unless the the goal is really driving strength it's kind of like yeah you get one you don't have to yeah Um, exactly yeah it's and especially like if you're you know if you're training three days a week and what you're actually trying to do is perform in an athletic scenario outside of the gym i think there are just bigger fish to fry in your training scenario than worrying about going and spending a couple hundred bucks on a fancy powerlifting belt Mm. um lock foster says if i'm bracing properly should i feel like i'm pushing out a fart i mean who hasn't nearly shit themselves squatting at some point in their life having to quickly pull yourself out of a multiply squat suit in order to waddle to the toilet is never a fun experience (laughs) once you're in it you're in it (laughs) yeah um do, do we have to talk more about that <laughs> i mean like to, to answer the question i mean that that shouldn't necessarily be the feeling you're no, gonna have i, an, I an, wouldn't a, describe that as the feeling at all but occasionally no. it is a side effect of the right feeling yeah you're gonna you're gonna have a massive increase in pressure in that region and if you're gassy you're gonna feel gas come out for sure um, i think it's actually you know as as silly as it kind of sounds it's an an important point if you find yourself getting really farty for squat sessions or deadlift sessions you might need to like think about what you eat before training if this is something that plays on your mind because it does fuck you up if you're doing a real heavy squat and you fart at the bottom of it it can really like distract you it's Um, genuinely one of the funniest things to watch from a coaching standpoint though not quite as funny as the time a guy ripped his shorts and i was like don't worry man everyone rips their shorts at some point he's like yeah i'm not wearing any underwear okay cool (laughs) do you have any spare shorts he's like yeah i do so he walked backwards out of the gym to his car i hate it when people rip their shorts because it always sounds like a knee fucking tearing or a (laughs) hamstring snapping or something it's always scares the shit out of me yeah um i think we've said enough on that surely I mean, we could talk about farts for a while. Farts are pretty funny. Any value, PTS Shade B says, any value in front squat slash back squat strength ratios or stupid like push-pull ratios? Um, I'm going to say stupid. Yeah, look, I think there's value because they're just, it's interesting. Like I find those sort of things interesting to compare. That is literally the extent of where I think they're useful. I just like looking at stuff like that and going, huh, that's interesting. Not necessarily actively trying to change it. This is an idea that really stems from um, weightlifting. Weightlifting, Like it was a very heavy uh, in the weightlifting world for a long time. Like you have to be able to front squat X percentage of your clean and all of these sort of things. And I think even in that scenario, it's still like a super, super sketchy reductionist approach but um in a powerlifting context i think it's almost completely useless because no one gives a fuck what your front squat is because the only measure of powerlifting success in the squat is a back squat Hmm. yeah i i I genuinely don't think uh, a front squat is a very um high quality choice of accessory exercise for powerlifting in the grand scheme of it like full stop i think there's better options that we can use um and so like for me personally i haven't programmed front squats for years unless requested or i just feel like being yeah you can have some front squats why not yeah um and i haven't done them for years uh and everyone's been making great progress so yeah it's not like it's 100 percent necessary but yeah to answer the question directly i I don't think there's any value in uh, outside of pure curiosity and interest like john said in looking at those ratios 
Yeah, and the push pull thing is uh, something that we've talked about. I think we talked about in the bench series. We did, um, yeah. It was that idea of push pull ratios. Uh, yeah, also basically bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, knees caving in comes from a weak glute max. Is that right? No. No. <laughs> no. It's, it's just not. Um, again, this is another example of people with an incomplete understanding of how, and I'm not saying the person answering, asking the question is the one with the incomplete understanding, but people who say things like this are people who have an incomplete understanding of how the system works as a whole. And so they see one aspect of it and try and assign blame to that particular muscle. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we talked about this pretty significantly in the early episodes in the squat talking about our squat series talking about creating torque at the hip which is actually what this is a representation of is your inability to maintain tension through your hip um and so your body's adjusting your position in order to continue to apply force Hmm. uh that's a much better way to look at it than looking at it as just being a glute thing Mm -hmm. yeah i mean like a really really easy way to look at movement as a whole um and this isn't just squats but like look at any breakdown any technical breakdown that happens across the board your body will move to accommodate what your brain is telling it to do so if you're telling your body to stand up out of a squat your body is going to do everything it knows how to do to move the bar from point a to point b and if it's not strong enough to do it the way that you want it to do it it doesn't care it's just going to be like well fuck you i'm not going to keep my knees there i'm going to cave them in so i can move back up because these muscles are stronger in this position than those muscles and so training is the idea of teaching your body to do what you want it to do um so it's don't the skill re- aspect exactly exactly so it's it's not a muscles thing and the weak loop math thing is always interesting because like there are a few people that will go you know go see a physio um do some strength testing and, and determine that they have a weak glute mass but so 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 rare like your yeah. glutes are your biggest strongest muscle in your body unless you train at ground zero then it's your neck but uh, like they're a big strong muscle most people don't have an issue with strength in their glutes no exactly it's um yeah another one of those myths that gets thrown around a lot mm. and also the solution to this is not to just put a stupid band around your knees and either do squats or walk like a weirdo through your gym neither of those things are really going to help you in any shape way shape or form you know my my biggest regret of doing that back in the day because i used to make everyone do monster walks but not with a band around their knees they'd put it like under their feet and then over their shoulders oh yeah like with a big band the amount of bands that got snapped by people's shoes just like grinding them away yeah they go through bands so quickly it was so annoying yeah and they're fucking expensive for what they are as well yeah exactly exactly (laughs) um rido had asked a question about spotting or just a a talking point about um spotting and i i think it's a i think it's a good uh, a good point to make because it's always interesting when you ask people who are unfamiliar with squatting around the gym um to spot and you know someone on one side will be a proper spotter and have their full shoulder and arms under the bar and the other person's doing like the ipf like hands under the barbell it's like bro if this person drops 300 kilos you are not catching it i promise you that yeah (laughs) that's that's what i've never understood and having stood either behind or on the side of some fucking huge squats There is nothing more terrifying than not being ready to like take the full weight of a no. bar. Like I've I've stood on the stage and spotted at big dogs with fucking 450 plus on the bar. 
it is fucking terrifying mm-hmm. as a spotter. And the idea that you're going to stand there and be like, yep, my biceps have this. <laughs> like, this guy's pretty strong, but wait until you see how good my biceps are. Yeah. Or the over-the-bar IPF upright row squat spot. Uh-huh. Like, what the fuck are you doing, clown? So, I, I, I do this as a back spotter, even with heavy squ- spots, as long as there's good side spotters. Yeah. Because I don't like the idea of having my hands under someone's chest and then fully dumping the bar. Like, it becomes yeah, dangerous yeah. for everyone involved. Like, my idea would be that I'm going to guide the bar from not going forward yeah, yeah. and I'm you're just going to grab You're it. not lifting. Exactly. Because yeah, exactly. even yeah. if you're back spotting, you're not doing shit. Yeah. And so, I really wanted to say this point. If you're, if you're doing big squats, like, let's say over 100, which doesn't sound big, but weight-wise, 100 kilos is a lot of weight. Like, mm-hmm. We're, used to, we're desensitized to big weight because, yes, know, but holding 100 kilos plus a person is a lot of weight. If you're squatting over 100, don't, don't get a back spot. Like, what, what the fuck is that person going to do if you actually fail? And I mean, truly fail, not just, yeah, oh, I need like a bro spot. A little bit, yeah. Like, I mean, fucking explode a knee, rip, a, rip an inductor off. Like, yeah. We get so complacent with safety. And it's only yeah. until we see things like you know the the bench that you and I spoke about ages ago with the with the um, with the face save. It's only when these things pop up that we go, "Oh fuck, this is actually really fucking dangerous." Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. don't it's, be complacent. Um, anything anything over like 100, 150, get proper side spotters and keep them close. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I've just especially at comps, like I've just seen so much bad spotting. At comps, it is the first thing I talk to my people about. Like all of my crew these days at comps are pretty fucking solid. We've had mm. some big squats. A lot of them have stood behind me squatting over 400. Like I've missed it into the straps and done shit like that. And so they've been around and seen that shit. And it's an, it's not until you see it happen from the perspective of the person on the platform standing next to them that you realize, A, how fast it happens. Mm-hmm. Like if someone really tears a muscle in a like a uh, catastrophic way, you don't have time to think about it. That famous fucking photo of it was a Sam who dumped yeah, the bar yeah, into the straps. Yeah. Fuzzy's standing there looking like he's just woken up. Like yeah. it's and both us, but like he's just there going, "What the fuck do I do?" Because in those scenarios, you're acting on instinct, and mm. basically, the better the position you can be in as a spotter the better chances are that the lifter will be fine the other thing like i've seen the argument of not having a back spotter have their hands under the bar because it gets in the way of judges like mm. for one as a meet director the in my head it is on the judge to put themselves in a position to act uh to be able to see what's going on in whatever way they can ideally without moving any of the spotters like let Mm -hmm. the spotters find their comfortable position and then choose your angles accordingly yep it's not that complex as a side spotter even with two big people on each side of a squat you can get into a position where one of you's got plates and one of you's got the bar and there's still a really nice big gap for the judge Mm. to see same thing with like your hands on as a back spotter i always teach my guys to have their hands underneath them as mm-hmm. they stand up and unrack, as soon as they get the squat command, put your hands by your side. Yeah. And then as soon as they go to push back up, then get your hands under. back underneath. Because yep. that's the way that you avoid blocking the hips uh, with your hands, which is super common. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the big ones when it comes to spotting squats. The other one is like being in a good rack or being in a good mono with straps and or safety pins set to the right height. 
Like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want you to drop a big squat into the straps, but if it happens, I'd rather have the straps there than not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. Yeah, I think that pretty much covers everything. Yep. There was one more question that was sent separate to the um, question box. Oh, yes. Uh, how to fix ankle mobility as an inhibitor of reaching depth easily and foot placement as in width and angle. Is there a right setup for it or is it individual? Um, we definitely spoke about ankle mobility almost never actually being the case <laughs> in last week's episode. I think, I, like I said last week, I think I've seen three people in my entire life as a coach like in over 10 years of coaching i've seen three individuals one of them had a legit ankle mobility issue the other two were trauma related ankle mobility like they'd fucked their ankles up from other things Mm -hmm. um so there's a pretty good chance it's not your ankles for a start foot width foot position those sort of things i think there's a lot of factors that go into that yeah um you know the bigger you are the wider your stance is going to have to be to get the rest of your body in between your legs Mm -hmm. um foot angle is going to be determined a lot by how mobile your hips are those sort of things i think mm-hmm. there's definitely some ranges we can work with but i don't think there's a, a prescription for what's best for everyone yeah for sure for sure it's just about understanding what what it means so the wider you go the more relatively externally rotated you are um, and so the more you turn your feet out uh, the more internal rotation torque you have to create and that's kind of hard to do so if you stand wide with your feet turned way out it should feel like your hips are loose as fuck if you stand, um, you know, a medium stance, a regular stance with your toes pointed straight ahead, now you're biasing heaps of internal rotation. You have to create way more external rotation torque. It should feel like your hips are tight as fuck. But it's just finding that happy balance between where you can maintain torque and, and still move up and down through the range you need to go through. The ankle thing, let's say it, there isn't what John was saying, which is like there's very rarely true um, ankle immobility issues that prevent someone from moving well. They're definitely out there, but it's very rarely the case. Yeah. If it's just like tight muscles or, you know, inhibition because of poor hip control or whatever, A, crutch it for a while and learn the technique better by using something like a raised heel. Mm -hmm. Um, And B, like my go-to is just very basic, like a a banded ankle distraction and some calf stretching. That's about it. Yeah. And those are the sort of things that take 20 or 30 seconds before you do a set of squats. And Mm -hmm. it's those sort of drills that are important to be used like as you're doing them not like hey i'm gonna go spend 15 minutes today stretching my ankles and calves because that's Mm -hmm. not actually going to do anything because for the most part the changes that you make in that stretching are very transient like they're going to be around for for a little bit then you got to load those positions you got to train them so Mm -hmm. spending hours on the couch stretching the night before you train is going to do probably nothing you're far better off doing them immediately before you squat and if anything being able to test and retest as you do it that's always the way i've approached my own training the first thing i do is like for a squat session i get under an empty bar maybe i put a plate on there but i move around do some squats do some pauses like just see how i feel what needs a bit of work and then i go away and work on it and keep coming back to that empty bar or that low load set as a like okay cool i that little ankle stretch i did makes my squats feel better good okay what else needs work and you can kind of troubleshoot that way as well because i think Mm -hmm. if you're having to do a whole bunch of these things every single time then there's a pretty good chance you're actually just not addressing the issue itself. For sure. Like if you can't squat comfortably without ankle distraction and calf stretching every single time you squat, you're missing something. Exactly. Something in that system is not doing what it should be because you're not actually making any permanent changes with those things. Exactly. Exactly. Sweet. 
That's it. Excellent. That's it. Goodbye. Until next time.